Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. As you can see, we're now on YouTube, so don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you hear all our episodes. Also, if you want to hear it just through your ears, don't forget we're on iTunes, Spotify and all the usual podcast places, so get those subscriptions coming in. Today we're going to talk about road tubeless. We've got Jack Luke and Matthew Allen from the Bike Radar team who are going to talk us through what the whole point and what is road tubeless. So who's going to start? I'll start. Road tubeless. Obviously, tubeless tyres are very, very well established in mountain biking. No inner tube, you put sealant in the tyre, puncture self heal, you can run super low pressures. People have been doing that in mountain bikes for years. Uh, they're doing it in, they've been doing it in gravel and cyclocross bikes for years, and they've kind of been doing it in road for years as well, but it's never quite caught on. It's never hit that critical mass because the case for road tubeless is a little bit harder to make because on the mountain bike side, you've got very strong arguments for low pressure mm. and stuff. Uh, you need that. Low pressure, punctures, yeah. ride feel, traction, all, this sort all of that stuff. stuff. Whereas on the road, a lot of people are very happy with their tube setup, so there would have to be a little bit more. We're going to talk a bit about that. And that little bit more is largely being driven by the pro peloton, and road tubeless has been proven to have some serious performance benefits, and that's been kind of focus of your work recently, Matthew, hasn't it? Yeah, I've been working on a feature flight radar about this. There is a growing body of data suggesting that road tubeless tyres are simply faster than conventional tyres, faster both than tubulars, which is what the Pro Peloton currently ride almost exclusively, and also faster than conventional clinchers, which have an inner tube. Um, as, a, as a slight outsider to the world of super road tech, it does seem that when it comes to picking what you put in your tyres on the road, is is quite confusing. You've got, you've got tubular, which is a, a tube of tyre. You've got <laughs> inner tubes, like the black butyl, like normal ones that I would have used 10 years ago on a mountain bike, back when we didn't really bother with tubeless, latex, and, and now tubeless. They all seem different. They all seem to have different advantages and disadvantages. But why is tubeless going to be the big thing? Well, it depends if you believe it is, of course. But manufacturers of tyres are very keen now to tell us that tubeless tyres are faster in terms of rolling resistance. And that's a big thing because it's a real gain that can still be made. Tubular technology, that's a tyre that's glued onto a rim which is what all the pros use is kind of it's sort of peaked it's mm -hmm. very well established and there are good reasons why pros use them because they ride really well uh, you can ride one that's flat so if you puncture in a race you can ride a bit on a flat tire and they don't have to worry about fixing punctures during a race because obviously they got a they got guy yeah they've got a guy to bring them either a new bike or a new wheel but tubeless does have potential advantages anyway if you can reduce the total number of flats because tubeless is usually designed to work with a sealant so flats self-heal and if you can lower rolling resistance you can go faster and if those two things make a strong enough case then we could see tubeless take over in professional racing and some people think that's going to happen some people think it, it's going to happen quite soon others think it's a long way off but we've had several new tires launched recently there was a new specialized turbo air tubeless and they claimed it was both faster and had better grip than a comparable tubular 
So something is happening at this moment, but it's kind of a transition phase. It does that seem that for road tech to take off, it has to happen in the pro peloton. But it, it sounds like, I mean, from mountain bike side, the advantage of tubeless isn't just for the pros. It's for everyone because you get less punctures, because you can run lower pressures and therefore have more grip. So why has it got to be the, the pros who get it, sort of make it grow rather than the punters? Well, I would argue that the advantages of road tubeless are probably larger for the punters of this world, because as Matthew mentioned, when it comes to tubulars and pros racing, they have a nice man in a car who's going to bring them a fresh wheel should they so happen to puncture, whereas we don't have that luxury. Though, of course, we do. The media bourgeoisie Mm. of bike radar. I do all my testing with the team car behind me. But, you know, for uh, punters, they're more likely to to feel those benefits in terms of increased speed and get somewhere closer towards the improvements in performance you get with tubulars compared to just regular clinchers. But what's interesting as well is that, you know, if you're a team working with a, say they they want you to use a tubeless tyre setup, likelihood is that they're going to choose something which is uh, compatible with each other. So some tubeless setups work better with others. And road tubeless has been a bit of a, a minefield up to this point. But we're seeing hopefully a little bit of a shift in that the ETRTO, which is the European organization which kind of defines tire standards or the ISO, are about to bring around these uh, these new standards for road tubeless tech. So from a consumer side, we haven't had this uh, standard up till now. We'll talk a bit more about that in a second, but we are beginning to, to see that now. So I think it is perhaps a little bit of a case of, yes, now the pros are adopting it. We're going to see punters adopt it because... We like to copy the pros, but I also think this standard is maybe the other thing that's been holding it back, perhaps. Do you think having this standard will make life in general a little bit easier? One of the things I've always found, you know, with, with road bikes and road bike tyres is that it can be an absolute, even with, like, running a regular tube set up on a standard rim, it's a nightmare to get the tyres on sometimes if you're not, like, totally adept. With the mountain bikes, again, there is the UST standard, which came out, well... A long know, time 10, ago. 15 years ago, and that was Mavic's thing, you know, where they, where they had this standardized thing. Um, and it didn't, it's kind of taken off, but it's kind of run alongside more like, I guess, ghetto tubeless ideas. Do, will, will having this CRTO standard make life easier for tubelessness? Uh, predictable. Yeah, it, it will. Um, there's a bit of confusion about standards, actually, because as I understand it, there's an ETRTO standard, which seems to have been established, I think. There's also an ISO, so that's international working group that's coming up with a standard. I'm not sure if that's going to be exactly the same. One way or the other, though, in the next six months, we expect there to be a general bike industry agreement. There'll probably still be some dissenters. But what that hopefully will mean is that when you buy a road tubeless tyre... First of all, it'll be the size it says it is. Mm-hmm. So when you get a 25mm tyre, it will be 25mm wide. And also, if it says tubeless on it, it'll work with any standard conforming rim which says tubeless on it. Because at the moment, we've got this problem where a lot of stuff is sold as tubeless ready mm-hmm. and it can be can be run tubeless, but then there's a question of like, you know, what rim tape do you need and stuff because that affects how a tyre fits. And sometimes stuff just doesn't work together. You'll get a setup where it's too loose, which is really dangerous because then a tyre can blow off the rim or it's too tight and you can't get the tyres on and off. And that's why a lot of people have this thing with tubeless where they're not going to make that leap because there's too much uncertainty. And when it does go wrong, tubeless is deeply frustrating. I'm sure we've all had experiences where we've covered a room in sealant. Yes, had the future of road tyre tech literally all over my entire kitchen. Yeah. 
it's it's really annoying when that happens. Actually, you've been working on something about sealant, haven't you, Jack? Yes, I've been working on something in tandem with kind of Matthew's piece. Um, I had an absolute disaster, a true disaster, a road tubeless disaster out on a ride. Um, and under the watchful eye of a friend who works for the Environment Agency in kind of watercourse pollution, watched as my tyre uh, failed to seat or failed to seal, sorry. And I left about ooh, 500 mil, it felt like, of sealant all over the pavement. And he asked... Is this is this okay? Good. <laughs> is that fine for that to happen? And you're going to try and answer that question. And I'm trying to answer that question. I've I've reached out to a bunch of different tubeless uh, sealant manufacturers, and they've given me a number of incredibly long-winded answers about how well the environmental impacts of their tubeless sealant, and the the answers have been a pretty mixed bag, to be honest. It's interesting in that a lot of them are are quite honest, and they say well, our natural latex will degrade well in the environment and the particles we use, they're based on natural materials like silica crystals or something like this. Mm. But then others, who I won't name just yet, you can wait for that article on bike, go on bike radar, have been a little bit more aloof and kind of saying, oh yeah, it's made of quite dodgy synthetic chemicals and it's full of microplastics, please don't put it in the river. So I think it's going <laughs> to be a pretty mixed bag. A very mixed bag, but it's something that people haven't... Um, really thought about I certainly hadn't mm. um, I remember years ago glitter was one of the things people recommended we're I, still going in some tubeless sealants now yeah glitter you know it's a microplastic people know it's terrible now it basically never degrades I've done exactly the same thing in the past in less woke times um, but it's we've in, moved on we've moved on but it's, it's interesting to see that you know some have an awareness of its impact but one thing I didn't really anticipate was all the people telling me it's uh, it's more environmentally friendly than inner tubes because you use less rubber. Yeah. Which is kind of... It's not totally unfair at that point. Well, you have to line a a tubeless tyre with more rubber. Also, we patch our tubes because, you know, we're not made of money. Exactly. So anyway, I think that's going to be an interesting read and kind of adds a a new element to this discussion. And perhaps it'll just raise a bit of awareness around how we should or shouldn't be disposing of, of tubeless sealant. So if we take the, the the view that I'm a massive roadie punter, which is painfully true, if you ever see him on a road bike, very briefly, what 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 are the advantages? Because we have talked very quick, you know, like oh, puncture this and and roll and resistance that. But am I going to really notice the benefits? And also, what am I going to have to? I can get a tire if I've got a, a tubeless tire, you know, this new Schwalbe or whatever it is. What else do I? What else am I going to need to do? To set up a tubeless mm. tire, can I? Can I? You know, back in the day, I'd get a, an old inner tube, stretch it around the rim, split it down the middle. Put a, you know, can I do that? That's Don't do that. Disaster. Don't do that. <laughs> I was fifteen at the time. I think for mountain bikes, this is fine. But when you're working with road bikes, you're working under such higher pressures in the tires. That's a disaster waiting to happen. And I think that goes back to the point around the standard where, yeah, there's perhaps been a bit of toing and froing, a little bit of DIY, and that's created a bad perception of road tubeless tech and to answer your first question yes i think you can feel a difference certainly if you're running wider tires which are faster there's no denying now wider tires are faster up to a point you do get that kind of improved feel by being able to run lower pressures as well as the decrease in rolling resistance which is more marginal but for racers sure you know 
it, it definitely helps. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of weight, I think you get a reduction in comparison to most clincher setups. Usually, although it's there's not a huge amount in it because obviously you do have the weight of sealant and tubeless tyres usually are slightly heavier than their standard clincher counterparts. And then obviously the rim has to be suitable, which can make it heavier. So it's a bit of a grey area okay. on the weight front. But uh, also you asked what do you need? Mm. You need a tubeless compatible rim, you need yeah. a tubeless tyre, you need valves, you need sealant and... If everything works well, you can just pump it up and it will work, but you may also need some sort of tubeless inflator, whether that's like a canister or a, mm. a specific pump or something. So it's not necessarily a real plug-and-play thing. You are going to have to invest in this. Well, you have to gonna... post-standard, hopefully it will be. But yeah. at the moment, I would say no, that it is not a plug-and-play thing. Mm. Unless you're, If you stay very much within a brand's ecosystem at the moment, say you use zip rims and zip tyres or stands rims and attire they recommend Mm -hmm. things are probably going to work but when you start mixing and matching at the moment it's anyone's guess so who's who's got um tubeless tires out at the moment obviously the biggest one that we've just recently talked about was the new schwabe one yeah new schwabe pro one that came out Um, a week or two ago stuff on site specialized came out with their turbo air recently and there's quite a number of others like Hutchinson and people who've been making them one way or another for years. Weirdly, the road tubers thing goes back a lot further than we realised. I found this when I was researching the feature I'm writing. Michelin launched three road tubeless tyres for professionals only in 2008. Really? But obviously the experiment did not succeed because mm. they vanished without a trace and you could never buy them. But one way or another, people have been doing road tubers for a long time. I think as a bit of a kind of show as well in the industry's faith for... Um, tubeless tech is continental also at the start of this year they relaunched well they redesigned what was their kind of headline tire the gb 5000 was the 4000 now the 5000 is their latest uh, tire and you know brought lots and lots of new fancy technology and clincher form but also critically it also came out in a tubeless variant and they've never done a road tubeless tire they've never even done i think you said a road cross uh, sorry a tubeless cross tire have no, they no so tu- that for continental to jump on board there is very significant because it's a huge manufacturer with a lot of clout so yeah i think it's definitely it's coming road tubeless is coming for from a consumer perspective but also one of the things you found when we were researching i think our frenemies at cycling tips had done an article along those lines essentially saying that investment from the industry uh, and into new wheels is pretty much entirely behind tubeless tech nobody is spending money on tubular uh, development now because it's old tech pretty much it's pretty settled for the most part it's not that tubular rims are probably still going to come out but it's kind of they're not innovating Mm -hmm. in the tubular department in the world of mountain biking tires are probably the unsung heroes a lot of the time in terms of um control feel uh performance of the bike you know you can the difference between a a cheap tire and an expensive tire whether it's run tubed or tubeless is makes a huge difference to the, the feel of the bike on road bikes i'm guessing that's similar. You know, a cheap road tyre is going to feel sketchy compared to a, a real top-end good one. Is is tyre tech the next big thing in road bike development? We've seen aerodynamics, um, we've seen wireless shifting, all this sort of jazz. Is the tyre slightly unsung, sort of under-the-radar upgrade that one could or should make? Uh, arguably. I mean, the very best road tyres now in the market, one could argue, are kind of your cotton um, cotton casing, super high-end open tubulars or tubeless tyres. When you think about it, cotton is, it does have a lot of advantages, but it is also 
quite old school material, which isn't to say it's necessarily bad. But if you look at things like, was it Vittoria with their graphene? Mm. Mm. Yeah, so there is, there's innovation happening in material. I think it's interesting with road bike tires, because I know in mountain bikes, it's very normal to talk about like how hard your compound is, for mm. example, and whether it's appropriate for the season. Whereas in the world of high-end road bikes, people quite often ride the same tire all, all year round, or they might have like a super puncture-proof one for the winter. But they're not thinking about a different compound for a different temperature, which, given that rubber is very seriously yeah. affected by temperature, is kind of surprising. So there's definitely scope for more optimization there. Whether or not most people will care enough is another matter, because I think the biggest impediment to road tubeless happening on a kind of global takeover scale is that normal clinches are good enough for most people, and they're very easy to live with, normal yeah. clinches, because... Like, you can hang up your bike with normal clinches for six months, and it'll still take be... it off the wall, pump the tyre up, go ride, it's fine. If you do that with a tubeless tyre, all the sealant will have mm. dried out, the tyre will be flat, you might need to reseat it even. There is more ongoing maintenance for road tubeless, so it has to justify itself in other ways for it to be worthwhile for most people. I'd say the other, yesterday, in fact, I was uh, at permanent the bank holiday weekend and I took my gravel bike back to the flatlands of York where there's literally no interest in mountain bike and I was like oh I'll go for a ride I'd kind of forgotten that on the previous ride that particular bike had got a little puncture and it took us a little while to seal it and I pumped up my tires I was like well I'm gonna I'm gonna put like 45 in there just to you know some tarmac miles and obviously like it was punctured and because I hadn't put any sealant in the tire for so long because I don't ride that bike super often couldn't get the seal. I was in a steaming mood for about an hour and a half because I was like, <laughs> I'm going for a bike ride. I've oh, got to change and everything. I couldn't go for a bike ride. And because I'm running tubeless. Yeah. So you got to, you, you do have to keep on top of it. And, you know, with mountain bikes, it's the same. And I, I think that's why, for example, at the low end of the market, it's never going to take over because for, like, cheap bikes, for people who don't care about bikes, who just use bikes to get from A to B, mm. it's still overall going to be more work, mm -hmm. I think. So I just can't see it happening. But for performance-minded cyclists, yeah, probably. Maybe that low-end someone needs to develop a good solid tyre. No such thing. No such thing. Yes, yeah. No. I think on your point about kind of uh, kind of improvements in road tyre tech, I don't think there's... Uh, maybe at the top end, there's little marginal gains that could be made there. But I think it's more as it trickles down towards the lower end, we'll see improvements in ride quality. So like a Continental Gator Skin, for example... By all accounts, yes, they're very puncture-proof tyres, but they're not that good to ride, really. Mm -hmm. Quite stiff sidewalls, more of a plasticky hard compound. Perhaps we'll see in time with new materials, we'll see them improve, and perhaps we'll see tubeless at that kind of level kick off. But yeah, I think that's somewhere you could see it improved. And I would say as a more general point, with most stock bikes that come often, as well as, say, finishing kit to kind of suit you, upgrading tyres on cheaper bikes, just like on mountain mm, bikes. Makes a big difference. Huge difference to the mm. ride quality. At the end of the day, it's the only two things that are touching the road, and, you know, you can really improve ride quality, feel, control with better tyres. That's why we like it when bike makers sell a bike with really good tyres, because... Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, going and upgrading them, that's another... It can be, yeah, depending, especially yeah. if they were cheaper, actually. <laughs> should, we, um, should we get a little bit geeky for a second, then? What is IRTO? What are these standards? What does it mean? What are we talking about? ETRTO is the European ETRTO. Rim okay. Tire Organisation, and ISO is the international What's standard. What's that for? The European Rim Tire Organisation. Yeah, so you, right. you would often see sizes written on a tire. It would say, like, ETRTO 622 mm -hmm. hyphen 
19. And having this standard in place will make that cross compatibility between different rims, different tyres, all this sort of stuff. Hopefully, yeah, well, yeah. A lot easier. We don't know. That <laughs> we'll find out. It could all just be a total disaster. And if it, we'll write about it if it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth pointing out as well that body is made up of industry bodies. Okay. So it's, yeah, you know, it doesn't just... It's not the EU, tell. like, you know, yeah. telling us it's... Oh, Tom, Tom, Tom. Tom. can it about the EU stuff? <laughs> you won. <laughs> Get over it, all right? Uh, <laughs> no one's a winner. Uh, yeah, it's made up of kind of people like Continental, Pirelli, Schwalber on it. Yeah, that's I'm not going to listen because we'll miss people out, but all the major stakeholders are involved. Which means that it's it's actually the people that are making the tires defining these standards. So it's very yeah. much in their interest to they don't the big problem from a tire maker's point of view is if you've got people fitting stuff, fitting tires to rims and they're not compatible in the way that they should be, there's a massive liability issue mm-hmm. because you can kill people. Yeah. And so it's yeah, they want this to happen. Whether or not they can agree exactly how to do it is another matter, but good things should be happening. Wicked. I think we've probably bored everyone enough with uh tire chat haven't we to know about that i'm enthralled <laughs> we can we can crack on forever about this um should we do a little plug for the cycle show which is coming up in september yes we are because to. we're contractually yeah, yeah. obliged <laughs> and i'm now going to get my phone out just to get the details it should be pretty cool though uh, and it's the 12th to the 15th of september although only the 12th if you're in the trade uh, it's at the nec in birmingham uh, you can get a 10% discount, 10% discount on your £15.50 entry fee. If you quick maths. Quick maths. Uh, 13 uh, If you use the codes C plus 1 or MBUK1, um, there's a link in the Bike Road article about this podcast to where you can buy the tickets. Um, there's loads of places you can try out road and mountain bikes, e-bikes. Um, there'll be some good chat as well on various stages. And some of the Bike Radar editorial team will be there to share their expertise tom marvin will be you know they can see the air quotes because there's a (laughs) camera the tom marvin kissing booth has already sold out as well for this year yeah sadly actually i'm going to be on holiday so breaking news right so we've been out riding bikes because that's what we get to do every now and again what have you been doing recently, Jack? Tell us, tell us what you've been, what adventures you've been having. I had a very good adventure, actually. Oh, yeah. Last, yes, I did. I went for a very pleasant two-day, two hundred mile little jolly around South Wales. A little two hundred mile. Well, it wasn't in one day. It wasn't in one go. I did a lovely ride from our hometown here in Bristol out to Swansea and then mm-hmm. off further towards Carmarthen, um, out on my lovely All City Mister Pink, which is my long-term test bike. You can see a link for all my ride reports on that in the description for this mm-hmm. and uh, yeah it was excellent fun and i didn't do it on tubeless tires well and you survived and i survived actually did you puncture i didn't puncture i had a latex tube in the rear and a regular butyl tube in the front and i mean the difference in feel must have been stark it was incredible the, the rear wheel just wanted to roll faster than the front it right. was incredible yeah. it's all fishtailing everywhere yeah. <laughs> out of control uh, and then yes i headed back on the sunday uh, and I just had a lovely little time. Yeah. And then otherwise, for BikeRadar.com, we're in the midst of uh, launch season, so there's been lots of cool new road bikes I've headed up on this week, and I've been kind of manning the good ship, making sure all that gets in front what, of your what eyes. What have been learning about? What's what's come out? Schwalbe was the the new Pro One, was definitely one of the highlights for last week. The Pro One tyre. Believe it or not, that's not me segueing. It was genuinely one of the highlights. Um, other than that, 
Should we talk about ceramic speed? Oh yeah, the ceramic. Yes, we also today we had a new ceramic speed uh, concept bike drop from Specialized, oh, yeah. and that's a uh, a chainless drivetrain. It was actually yeah. You wrote so that, they though. they actually announced this last year. So it's, oh, the one that was at Eurobike with the funny. That's right. Yeah. So not new in that sense, but mm-hmm. they ceramic speed have been working with Specialized. They've fitted out an S-Works Venge test bike, put it in the wind tunnel, which is wow. what they call the wind tunnel. Right. Um, just be clear. Uh, and they have claimed that the, it's called Driven, the drivetrain, is the f- most aerodynamic drivetrain in existence and that the Venge fitted with it is the most aerodynamic road bike that Specialized has ever tested. Okay. Um, it in is their really, own wind tunnel. In their own wind tunnel. <laughs> it is actually really interesting because if you think about it, the way we change gears, broadly speaking, hasn't really changed mm. much in the last, what, 50, 70 years? It's been a derailleur that pushes a chain across some cogs, however many cogs there happen to be, and however that works. Um the ceramic speed system is totally different. It's a shaft drive, but not in the way that you might have thought with bevel gears. It uses little bearings and cutouts and a okay. flat cassette thing. It's really, really cool. It's mental. I don't know if it will ever work in the real world, but I'm really glad that people are innovating with stuff like this. And there's something about that on the site now. There is indeed. So what, just Google bike radar ceramic speed specialised? I mean, one would hope they're just heading to bike radar every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've, they've probably read this article five times over by the time this podcast mm-hmm. comes out. Okay. Matthew, have you been doing anything? Of, uh, I've of been note? riding my very lovely long-term bike, which yeah. is uh, an aluminium Trek Imonda ALR. You're a man of the people, an aluminium bike. You could have had anything. With <laughs> a wireless group set. <laughs> wireless group set. I've got 105 and a steel bike. I am a man of the people and a Caradee saddlebag. You see, it's not all it's not all glamour here at no. my radar. I've had a lovely time on that bike, and it's been feeding into something which I'm working on, which is discussing the idea of how your kind of perception your feeling about a bike affects like your experience of that bike Mm -hmm. because i think riding around on what is an 800 pound frame but it's a very light lovely bike there's a certain smugness associated with that when i could also be riding on like a 3000 pound carbon frame and i think our attitudes to bikes for different reasons Mm -hmm. are really interesting whether that's because of where they're built or their brand or some other more emotional thing like why do people ride steel bikes jack I mean, because, you know, on paper... you can weld it in the middle of Mongolia. Yeah, which Jack does all the time. All the time. But on paper, like, a steel bike doesn't make sense because it's yeah. heavy and, you know, you can make it out of carbon or aluminium, which looks would be lighter and stuff. But it looks really cool on Instagram. It makes you feel nice. Yeah. So you ride it. And I think we're not... People don't buy bikes because of just a spec sheet. They buy it because of how it makes them feel. Maybe... Something I think about a lot. Maybe frame material is something we can uh, discuss in a future pod. Wow. Uh, steel is real... Aluminium cracks, uh, yeah. carbon, carbon. What does carbon rhyme with? It's uh, it's just untrustworthy. Oh, titanium yeah. is forever. Oh yeah, titanium yeah. is forever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, magic carpet ride. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's good. Done it. That's speaking of um, speaking of Gucci stuff, because you guys have been keeping it real with what, like perineums. <laughs> I've been um, oh god, <laughs> I've been uh, I've been riding some carbon mountain bikes recently which has been very nice oh look at us the trifecta of materials yeah, yeah. i've um so my long-term uh santa cruz chameleon pretty cool now single speeded it plus at the back that's the a front. hard tail isn't it that's a hard tail uh, and i'm very fashionable because i'm running as a mullet bike Ooh. um and i've been having absolute hoot on that because it is really funny 
also beautiful, I think. It's probably one of the most attractive bikes I've ever ridden. It's a lovely shade of poo brown, if it's you haven't seen it. a lovely shade of poo brown and turquoise logos. Uh, it's pretty special. But it's it quite is. good value, too, I think. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the best value for money bike in the world. Um, but to be fair to Santa Cruz, in response to uh, some of the comments on the video that we did about the bike, they did drop the price by about £400. So it's still very, very expensive. It is also very, very fun, though. So Sure, it's lovely. Um, speaking of other great value bikes, <laughs> I've been riding another Santa Cruz, the new Tallboy, uh, which came out um, a couple of weeks ago now. And now they've moved their VPP linkage from the top mount to the bottom, the lower link VPP, which is a more descent focus, despite still having 120 mil of travel at the back and one thing at front. So Tallboy was their kind of trail XC bike and is now very much their short travel rowdy trail bike, um, which very much suits me down to the ground. And it is very good fun. Um, I've only ridden it a couple of times, so I'm going to hold judgment so far. Um, and in other trail bike news, also rode the new Intense Primers. So they have got rid of their entire trail bike range and replaced it with the Primer. Um, but they've gone 29 as one option. Then they've got a 27.5 version as well. Um, and they've bought out probably one of the only people I know of with a production trail mullet bike on sale. So 29 at the front, 650 at the back. Um, that's the one I've been riding the most. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, my thoughts will be on site fairly soon on both of those bikes because they're both really interesting new trail bikes. So that's what I've been doing. Looking forward to that. Let it be heard. Tom Marvin, man of the people. Only rides people. boutique Californian mm. mountain Minimum bikes. 5K. Plastic <laughs> only. Preferably uh, XTR or XX1. That's how it roll. What or one gear. Single speed. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah, I think... Uh, Oh, one thing I actually wanted to ask, because if, if you are watching this on YouTube, mm -hmm. um, let us know what you've been doing in the past couple of weeks on your bike. Got any cool photos or stories, anything like that? Let us know. Um, and if you're listening to it on Spotify, iTunes, wherever, head over to Bike Radar um, and drop some comments in there, because genuinely really interested into what people are doing and what you're interested in. And, and, you know, if you've got any ideas of what you want us to talk about in the future... Yeah, let us know because we, we're um, very open to your ideas a bit of feedback let us know why we're all wrong about road tubeless and why we're just uh, listening to Big Bike and trying to push that down your throat so there we have it thank you very much for listening and watching this episode of the Bike Radar podcast don't forget to like and subscribe on various pod providers and on YouTube of course and uh, yeah thanks so much Jack and Matthew you're welcome Tom you're so welcome Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.